Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 30% off your new account for three months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP3. This week on TWIP. Canon introduces the 5D Mark III and also incorporates radio into their speed lights. The iPad 3 is announced with a new iPhoto, and Lightroom 4 is officially released. It's Wednesday, March 7th, 2012, and this is Quip. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today, we're going to be talking about new hardware from Canon. Apple announced the iPad 3 um, and iPhoto for the iPad and the iPhone 4. And also, Adobe released Lightroom 4 with all kinds of new crazy features in there. So all kinds of cool stuff happened in just the past two to three days that we need to talk about. So here to help me tackle these topics are Mr. Doug Kay and Mr. Silarina to uh, to address this stuff. Hey, guys. Hey, how you doing? I'm hey, doing, Frederick. How are you? I am doing well. Before, we, before I click the record button, we were saying that it's... Uh, it's two against one because Doug's a Nikon shooter. I'm a Nikon shooter, and Sil, you are the Canon shooter. So you got to hold your own on this show with regard sounds like to. A, it sounds like a fair, fair, fair fight. How did I know you're going to say that? Yeah, yeah, I knew yeah. you were going to say because you know you are, and I am, and all of us are, of course, defined by the gear that we shoot, and not by the images we make. Thank of you. That's what I keep telling everybody. Yeah. It's all about the gear, so <laughs> it has oh, nothing wait, to do I, with vision or your creativity. I just remembered I have I have an S ninety five on my desk, so I'm a Canon shooter too. There you <laughs> hey, go. I have a G nine. I'm a Canon shooter. Okay. See, see, you guys can be part of the club then. Yeah, I'm a Tokyo shooter here. All right, guys, before we jump into everything, I want to give a nod to our sponsor, one of our sponsors for this episode. Tonight's episode of TWIP is brought to you by Audible.com. They're the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. And for our listeners, for the TWIP listeners, Audible is going to be giving out a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out the service. And... You know, one you might want to consider is one that I just picked up. It actually was just released last month in February of 2012, um, and it's called Google Plus for Business. Now, if you've been listening to This Week in Photo for any length of time, you know I'm a big nut for marketing. I even started a company that helps photographers market themselves online. Um, so this book uh, is... Awesome. I just downloaded it a couple days ago and it goes into basically it's from uh, Chris Brogan. He goes into the ins and outs of using Google Plus for promotion, customer service, building your community, gaining referrals. Like if you're a wedding photographer, all this crazy stuff. Um, If you were ever just sort of curious about how Google Plus works and like, why do I need to learn another social network? I'm already I'm just getting my brain around Facebook. 
Google Plus for Business is the audiobook for you. Just plug it into your iPhone, your iPad, whatever, and listen to it in your downtime. And in a couple of days, you'll be the resident Google Plus expert. So definitely check that out. If you'd like to check it out or any audiobook of your choice for free, just go over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip and check it out. All right, gentlemen. Let's uh, let's let's start round one. <laughs> ding ding! I see this like scantily clad woman walking around with a number one in the <laughs> ring. Okay, uh, number one, Canon has announced the five D Mark III. So a couple of weeks ago, Nikon revealed the D eight hundred and sort of put the whole idea of megapixels back on the minds of everyone. So Canon came out with the five D Mark III. This thing has a 61-point autofocus system, a Digic 5 processor, a 22.3-megapixel full-frame sensor, dual card slots that can support one CF card and one SD card, um, improved video controls and a headphone jack or a new headphone jack, six frames per second shooting speed, built-in HDR, multiple exposure modes, ISO ranges from one, ISO 100 to 25,600 and a dual access electronic level so you can you know level the camera and make sure your horizon's straight and all that cool stuff. So they packed a bunch into this new camera and it looks like it's going to be the new standard and all the people that bought 5Ds are now lusting and looking at their 5Ds today and saying, look at that piece of junk I bought. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Sil, you are the resident Canonista uh, for this week in photo. Are you lusting after this, and are you going to toss you know, your 5D in the trash? Oh, you know, I, 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 look, it's been three and a half years or so since the 5D Mark II was announced, and that camera literally launched the whole HDSLR revolution uh, in a way that Canon never anticipated and, frankly, never planned for. So, yeah, I mean, I've been looking for the Mark III since the time that I picked up the Mark II because it was not a camera designed from the ground up to shoot – HD cinema. Right, um, the right. Mark III clearly is clearly, um, you know. So yeah, I'm I'm absolutely um, in the mark for a Mark III because my 5D Mark II is uh, you know been with me for gosh three years. Um, it's got way more sh- <laughs> shutter actuations than I care to admit. <laughs> um, and and frankly, I think in terms of the feature set, I think Ken's done a really nice job. Balancing the the five D Mark III with the needs of both still and motion image makers. Now, so just to throw to you back again, real quick. So, looking at this camera, so you know, coming from the, the like high tech marketing, yeah, you know, I worked at, at companies that that market this stuff, right? And looking at this camera, like you were saying, it looks like they adjusted to the needs of what the market wants. So, is it saying that that Canon? Canon is that nimble? I mean, it's been three years, of course, but you know, Canon is nimble enough to say, okay, the market is moving in this direction, so I'm going to make the next model this. Because in my in my head, a hardware manufacturer, unless you're an Apple or whatever, you know, a hardware manufacturer, they are looking out like three years. Like Canon knows what the 5D Mark 20 will be, you know, and what the features are going to be. Is that not the case? Are they able to keep up with market trends? You know, I, I certainly can't talk for Canon directly, but, um, you know, they've been getting – I mean literally from the day that, that Vincent LaFleure launched Reverie on, and which really announced to the world, hey, there is something yeah. magical about doing, for lack of a better term, 
large sensor din- cinematography, digital cinematography. Mm-hmm. You know, that shallow depth of field and motion is something that a lot of people quest after. Um, yeah, I think, I think Canon has had their finger on the pulse of this market for a long, long time. Um, and are there features that some people say, gosh, I wish I had? Yeah, probably. But I think, I think overall Canon has done a really great job. Um, again, balancing the needs. This is a camera that's really designed to serve two worlds. Some of us like you know jump back and forth between the two, and other people only pick up a 5D because they shoot motion, and others say, you know, I have no interest in motion. I only want to shoot stills, and I think this is a camera that will serve both worlds pretty well. All right, now Doug, I want to throw it to you. So, um, you know, looking at the evolution of DSLR video over the past several years, like Sil was saying, it, it went from like with Vincent Laferre, it went from okay, look at this guy, he's taking this camera and doing the MacGyver with it and doing crazy stuff with it that it was never intended to do. But look at the beautiful output that's coming out of this thing. And now we fast forward to today, and Canon, of course, saw that and created i'm i'm guessing here i have no insight but canon created the 5d to say that okay the market is going towards video so let's give them what they want so are we you know the whole idea of well this whole video thing is a fad and you know if you're if you're a still photographer you're you don't shoot video you do you think that's that argument is over and now we are firmly moving down the road to video and if you're just a still photographer you're just going to be drug along with it I don't know that there's a singular answer to that because I certainly know people who love the 5D Mark II for its video capability, as awkward as it might be. Yeah. Uh, and we're looking forward to the Mark III. And I know a lot of 5D Mark II owners who don't do any video and probably never will. So I don't know that there's one answer to that question. I I do know, you know, there are probably probably no more people who own 5D Mark IIs than any other camera. And... I don't know anybody who has one who doesn't love that camera. And it, it does seem to me, though, that people are a little disappointed um, in the announcement. I think a lot of people were shocked by the price increase, mm-hmm. and especially when it didn't quite have enough of a bump in features or quality that, that they were hoping for. What, what was the increase? I mean, the, the new street price is $3,499. What was the old price? Well, I think it was three thousand, wasn't it? No, it's it's oh. it was closer to twenty five hundred. So oh, twenty five hundred. Okay, it's like a thousand dollar bump. Holy, a thousand dollars more? Seriously? But but here's here's the point. I I your 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 friend and mine, Martin Bailey, and I were on his podcast yesterday. Yeah. Martin, of course, lives in Tokyo, and he shared something with me that totally is not on my radar. And that is, he said, "Look at where the yen is relative to the dollar. In fact, the value of the yen has declined." It's Martin's theory, and I'm certainly not going to argue against a smart guy like Martin, that Canon has taken the necessary step to jack up the prices on all this new gear to reflect the difference between the dollar and the yen. They can always lower prices in the future, but they can't really go out and say, oh, for your 5D Mark II or your 580EX Mark II Speedlight, we're going to jack up the price. So as the yen has declined in value and as they crawl out of Fukushima earthquake and Thailand floods. I mean, it's been a rough year for all camera manufacturers based in Asia. So I think that's, I think that's the reason that we're seeing. But, or alternatively, could it be, that's, that's your Silarina optimist talking, or could it be the marketing guy saying, Hey, this market is going to love this camera. I think we could squeeze $3,499 before we reduce the price down and call it a special, you know, I mean, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, I know we're going to talk about the new Flash system. And that truly is a quantum leap. The 5D Mark III is not a quantum leap. It's right. really the camera that a but lot yet, of us... But yet you're going to buy one, right? Oh, I, I'll, I will probably cancel my 1DX order and grab two of the Mark III's. Yeah. Now that I see what the specs are, um, we've so got, you think? So especially since your shutter's about to die anyway. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Seven million actuations is <laughs> I, no comment. I'm taking the fifth. Well, so still on this camera, what what gets you the most excited? What what's uh, what what is pushing your pushing you to push the buy now button? Yeah, um, I would have pushed the buy now button a year ago without seeing any specs because um, I just in- inherently, you know, it's it, every time a new. Uh, Photoshop or Lightroom comes out, it's better than the one before. I feel the same way about my camera bodies. Um, but I have to say, without having held one of these things in my hand, without having shot one, um, I have high optimism that hopefully I can recant on my um, longstanding joke that focus is highly overrated. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, it, I mean, they literally borrowed and appropriated the 61-point autofocus system out of the 1DX. It's not exactly the same system, but gosh, I think it's going to be a large step forward um, from where from what we've had on the 5D Mark II. Um, you know, I like the processor upgrade. Anytime you give me a newer processor, that means my life is going to go faster. Yeah. And oh my God, we finally have a, a headphone jack. You know, <laughs> yeah. Still, I just want to go on record, and Doug, you know this. I want to go on record to say that my Nikon D seven thousand has a headphone jack on it. Yeah, right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's like this is the first time in a mainstream. And it was interesting to me that the one DX did not. Um, instead, yeah. the the word was that they chose to put in um, that RJ forty five, essentially the Ethernet jack in the side <laughs> of the one DX for fast data transfer. And maybe if you're a pro shooter. And that's really the market that that's designed for and, right. and, and pro in ways that I, I never will be. Having that high-speed data transfer is more important than having a headphone jack. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that really, again, the 5D Mark III, I sound like a, you know, a parrot here, but I think that this is a camera that has truly been designed for the hundreds of thousands of people who say, hey, I want a full-frame camera because I like that shallow depth of field that I can get when it shoots when I shoot motion. Um, and when I look at the improvements in the AF and the processor and all of that, I think, gosh, you know, really where the big things are are on the video side of this camera. What are we looking at? So for the for the one DX in terms of price, what's the what's the price point of that thing? I you think know, it's five thousand. Uh, the one DX is sixty sixty six thousand something. Is so really? six grand. Yeah. It's, 60, it's sixty four hundred, oh I think. Oh my god! So what was I looking? Where did I just look? Oh, I must have been looking at an older one. I yeah, I just did a Google it. search, and yeah, yeah, it's in the it's in the sixes. So, so does the so those people that were like on the fence saying, okay, I want that one DX. I got to get that one DX. You know, just one more. I just got to mow one more lawn, and I get that one, damn big lawn. I get that one DX. <laughs> Should they just like you know go ahead and buy the five D, the new five D, and keep the rest of the money for the kids' education? You know, there there are two there are two different cameras, and and really. Um, you'd be well served to get Martin on on the show next week and ask him. Here's what he said yesterday in a nutshell. He said, look, the 1DX is clearly a true pro model, both in terms of its ruggedness, its durability, and in its weatherproofing. And he said, if I was riding in a little Zodiac in Antarctica, 
knowing that I was going to get water splashed over the bow on the camera, yeah. I'd want the 1DX. But who, can, who's doing – I mean, devil's advocate here, obviously, but who's doing that? I mean, I who – You know? Like, it, of, of that one sliver of the yeah. population that's going to buy a ticket to Antarctica and going to need the, yeah, the ruggedized yeah, I, body I, of that 1DX? I, I, mean, I, I get that. I mean, the one. there's no question. The 1DX is a pro camera with a capital P. The 5D Mark III is still a prosumer camera. I mean, it literally is designed, a lot of people like myself use it to earn their living, mm -hmm. but yeah. it's still designed both in terms of its its feature set and in terms of its price point, believe it or not, to really be considered as a consumer item. Hmm. I don't know. I think, I think the only people that know that you're shooting with a consumer camera is the person that's behind the camera. The images on the other side, I think... You know, if somebody can tell, can show me a camera, that, a photo that was shot with a 1DX versus a 5D Mark III, mm -hmm. then, I mean, come on. I mean, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of lenses you could buy with that extra three grand. Yep. I, mean, I don't know. Sure. Doug, what, what about you? I mean, Doug, where do you fall on this? Should, should the photographers that were sitting on the fence and saving their money for the 1DX, should they just plunk down and take that, that lawn cutting money and buy the, uh, the 5D now? I, I agree with Sil. Of course, it's easy to do because he's Sil Arena. Because uh, Sil's scary. <laughs> Have you seen but, his hair? I mean, come but on. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think the I think they're very different cameras. Um, yeah. And I I was struck in the last couple of months, not only within the lines of Canon and Nikon about how different these cameras are today, the top pro camera versus the next prosumer line, but even between the brands. You know, one of the things that people can't help but do is compare the Nikon D800 to the uh, 5D Mark III, mm -hmm. and they're totally different cameras. Um, there's there's less overlap in those product lines than I think there used to be, um, and, and, and that's sort of surprising to me. You know, I, I recently um, uh, bought a used uh, D3S, mm. and uh, so now I'm, I'm like you. I have a D7000, a, a D700, but I also have a D3S, nice. and it's... Again, a totally different camera. That's the pro camera in the Nikon line. And, you know, like Sil says, you know, if it, uh, it's not the camera I'm going to take with me everywhere I go. It's heavy. It's beefy. But it's rugged. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's it's a difference. So I, uh, I maybe it's just the more time I spent now with them. But I'm learning that all these models are much more distinct than one might think they are. It's not a continuous blur, if you will, from one camera to the next. I, I totally agree. Yeah, they're, they're, the lines are diverging. So, so, so where do you fall on, I don't know, as, as this question sort of formed in my head, it became stupid. But I know where, <laughs> where, where do you fall on Canon versus Nikon in the high ISO, low noise battle? Do you think, you think Canon is taking their lead now? Or is, it, oh, or is, that, is yeah. that even a battle anymore? Should we I, even care? Know, I, I don't, I, some people will care. I don't. Um, you know, you've heard me say before that uh, crappy light at ISO 112,000 is still crappy light. Yeah. I'm a light guy through and through, whether it's low light or high light. Um, the fact that you can shoot in the closet with the door closed is really not of interest to me. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's Depends said, on what you're shooting, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen my closet, you wouldn't have to ask that question. <laughs> um, I'm not going to make any coming out yeah. of the closet jokes. So yeah. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm exactly the opposite. I, the reason, the, the main reason I went with a D3S is I like to shoot in low available light. Yeah. And, and so that was the camera to get for me unless I wanted to spend, you know, an extra $2,000 and get a D4, which, 
didn't seem to be worthwhile. So right. yeah, that's the other that's uh, it. that's the that's I mean, the argument on the Nikon side is the the D four yeah. is obscenely expensive as well, right? Yeah, it's the it's the mission. You know, yeah. um, if I'm for the majority of the stuff I shoot, the seven hundred or the seven thousand are just fine. But when I want to go out and and get a couple of extra stops and I want to shoot in the dark, the the D three S is an amazing camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't need that, you don't need to spend that money. Yeah. I just worry. I mean, to both of you guys, I just I just worry not that I need to worry about the world, but I worry about like photographers that are mired in this whole man. You know, if I just if I just had that new 1DX, I could be like Silarina. You know, I could, I could shoot images <laughs> like him. So I'm not going to shoot anything. I'm just going to I'm just going to continue reading my photography magazines and taking training classes and going to workshops until I can afford the 1DX, at which point I will be Silarina, you know, rather than <laughs> taking their money out and buying whatever the heck they can afford and shooting and and, and understanding. I don't, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, let me just let me just jump in because you, you evoked my name in a way that I'll take as an insult in that regard. <laughs> um, no, I mean, sincerely, I say to people, look, you know, go out with whatever gear you have, whatever camera, whatever lens, and go out and make mistakes and go out and make images and find your way down the path that you're supposed to be on. I don't want to be a guru here, but the idea that you can buy your way to you know better it doesn't work in golf i mean if you get the callaway big bertha mark 400 you know it doesn't make you john daly off the tee box yeah um so i mean but this is not unique to photography and it's frankly not unique to 2012 i mean you know oh god you know it's like the middle ages if only we have the mark ii fletched arrows we can shoot the fire (laughs) at those guys in the castle top and win the the beautiful maidens i think this argument's been going on forever i know it's the Um, it's the whole it's the whole equipment versus talent slash art argument just take whatever resources you have in your life and go out and do something with them and stop worrying about the fact that you need something external to your life to make you somebody you're not yeah and it's, no, it's all that, about being able to get the maidens yeah exactly <laughs> that's that's the uh, the spoils of war so so doug on that whole idea you know there's there's a i've gotten heat on both on the thisweekinphoto.com comments on certain posts and also on the google plus page for this week in photo because i've been i've been on the soapbox preaching that gear doesn't matter and you know you should understand light and composition and exposure before you start worrying about getting the next camera which is heresy to some people because some people say you know in order to push the art forward and i you know i'm i'm voicing their argument they say in order to push the art forward, technology advances too, which allows us to do more things. Like like what Syl was saying, if you want to go in the closet and sh- shut the door and take photos of things, I don't know what those <laughs> things would be. But if you want to do that, that's a certain form of art that would not have been possible prior to that particular camera body. So where where do you fall on the whole gear versus you know gear gear? You need gear in order to make images, or you need to you know, be more of an artisan to make images. Which well, uh, you certainly, there are two different situations. Mm-hmm. One, you, you certainly can make beautiful images with very inexpensive gear. There's no doubt about that. I mean, look at what people are doing with iPhones, for yeah. example. There's some yeah. great stuff there. there I, I'm a member of a local photo club. There are people who come into the monthly competitions with images made on iPhones. And I look at those and say, I wish I could do that. Regardless of the technology, I look at it, it's gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. But at, at the other end, I'm a gear nut. And uh, there are 
there are things that I like to be able to do that I can't do with an iPhone. I can't do with even a low-end DSLR. So sure. um, it, it's the, the fact is that the art does trump the technology because what is the point of having a, a beautifully sharp, in-focused image if it's crap? Right. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you know, as much as I'm a gearhead – you know, my week, I'm, I'm strong on technology. The reason I joined a photo club is because I'm, I'm weaker on the creative side. And that's what I'm trying to build up in my own photography. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's ultimately what it's all about. You know, guys, both of you, I, <clears throat> as I'm doing these shows, I always keep my, my iPad sitting next to my display running a slideshow of the latest images coming in from 500pics.com just to sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's good to have this, image, this imagery flowing into your head as you're talking about photography. And as I look through these images, I'm not seeing any that I'm, that I'm looking at and wondering what they use to shoot it. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I'm looking at these images that are blowing my socks off, literally. And I'm like, wow, that's a great image. I have, and I don't, honestly, I don't care what they use to shoot this image. It's just, it's a great image. I'm wondering how they yeah, got to that, that spot. The, you know? the, quest, the question is, is, are there images in there? How many could only be, have been done with a, a 1DX or a, right. or a D4 or D3? I, almost none of the images you'll ever see on 500px that are gorgeous required a high-end camera to do them because yeah. they weren't shot in a closet in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, so, Sil, moving on to story number two. Woohoo! All right. So you, thank you very much, came down to last week's This Week in Photo slash Smug Mug TWIP meeting and you brought some Canon 600 EXRT speedlights with you to to demonstrate to the lusting crowd, right? So thank you for coming, first of all. And secondly, why, why don't you tell the This Week in Photo Global Army what is what you find so interesting about these speedlights? All right. Well, first off, um, I just want to give a shout out to my friends at Canon Europe who gave me the opportunity. Um, they reached out to me, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. Um, sealed my mouth up with an NDA and said, we're going to send you some gear. We want to know what you think. Um, last Friday, Canon Japan uh, announced the 600EX RT Speedlight and the STE3 RT Transmitter. Now, the key key term in both of those pieces of gear is RT. I don't know if it stands for receive and transmit or radio transmit or whatever it is. But Canon has taken a quantum leap here with speedlights, with small flash, and incorporated radio right into the speedlight. And not only is it one-way radio, a lot of people have said, oh, gosh, you know, i got pocket wizards that can do that. Or i got radio poppers that can do that. No, this is a little bit different. This is, this is a, something I didn't expect. Now, for the first time, the slave speedlights, the remote speedlights, can actually talk back to the master. And one of the things that I find most amazing about this system is that when the slaves have recycled they send a signal back to the master and when all of the slaves that the master is following have recycled then it tells me that everybody's ready to go we never ever ever had that capability and frankly i never dreamed of it in my wildest <laughs> dreams thinking no. you know, i was I'd, I'd be happy to get like a beep that was like my one Thing in, uh, in, so they and, so as you're shooting, so you shoot. You got You have a say. A, I don't know six light setup, and you're shooting a model. You click the shutter, and you wait a couple seconds, and you'll hear a beep when everybody's ready to go again, right? Yeah, you you hear a beep. You can you can optionally silence the beep through a custom function. 
um, and then the ready light on either the new speed light or the new transmitter turns red. But it doesn't turn color until everybody's checked in ready to go. So if you've got one guy out there, let's, you know, if you're shooting two or three or ten remotes, if you've got one guy out there that's struggling because you didn't change the batteries up, you're not going to get that ready-to-go signal until they're all checked in and ready to go. Yeah. I, did, I did test shoots, and, and I'm sure we'll link it from the show notes, but I've got a video online. I really put these things to the test. I used them in ways I never could with the previous generations of speed lights. Namely, I did a couple of shoots where I buried speed lights inside of the Westcott Apollo softbox, which I love. Mm -hmm. But the thing about the Apollo is that because the sides are opaque, you cannot communicate to a speed light inside via the old optically based system. Because mm, it, um, needs, it, needs it needs to actually see the see the pulses of light right yeah it needs to see the pre-flash coming off the master you know, we used to say oh this was infrared but i think canon is is appropriately redefined it said no it was really optical it wasn't infrared yeah um but the point being that you could not put a slave inside a soft box like the apollo and under most circumstances control it so i immediately say oh what could i not do before that theoretically i can do now and those are the kinds of shoots that last week I went out and shot, and in a couple of instances, we videotaped them to share them online. And it is truly, truly liberating. The other thing, Frederick, I'll share with you mm -hmm. is that often gets overlooked because, as you can tell, I'm a bit enthusiastic about the radio. But kudos to the engineers. I have no idea who they hired as the design advisor. But the menu system on this new Speedlight gear is amazing. We have Not only do we have an interactive menu system – it's actually really well designed. So Isn't that, that crazy that you have to get excited over that you now? Know, I mean, I mean I because have, menuing I a, systems have been like one step beyond DOS for yeah, for so long, or, yeah, so, and that's so, being generous, right? So what? So what we've got now? So even a guy who's got just a single speed light says, "I don't give a heck, you know, hoot about radio. I'll never use that." I I was just amazed at the user interface. Um, the button layout, the fact we now have, I mean, in some ways, we now have what Nikonians have had for a while with the SB900. We've got an interactive menu system um, and a couple of cool features on the menu system. For instance, um, you've got the ability to change to custom code the backlight color. So on my, my speed lights now, when they're in either normal or master shooting mode, the backlight is green. But when I switch them over to be a slave, the backlight turns to orange. Mm. And that's so that's, helpful. That's a little touch. That's very that's, cool. It's yeah. just those little things. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. You know, as a, as a pro shooter who and, – and whether you're pro or amateur, when you're, when you're on the set and people are looking at you and you've got to go and think on your feet, anything that um, can be handed to me to make my job simpler, to make it – Easy to remember what the heck I'm supposed to do is greatly, greatly appreciated. So, you know, let me let me separate this conversation from the one we just had about gear. Um, does the light coming out of these new speed lights look substantially different than the light that I can create out of a 580EX Mark II or a 430EX? No. But is my ability to get my job done with less stress and less, um, you know, time uh, enhanced? Absolutely. Yeah. So again, kudos to Canon for really stepping up, and and I say this humbly because, of course, you guys shoot Nikon, I shoot Canon. None of us have any direct input to the engineers, mm -hmm. as much as we like to banter each other about the gear we shoot. Um, I just really feel fortunate that the the Canon engineers 
have done such a great job. It's obvious to me in the three years that I've been blogging about Canon Speedlights, it's obvious to me that they truly have been listening to the market and thinking about what can we do to make a system that is second to none in terms of, in terms of its capabilities and its user interface. So, so Sil, just to continue on that a little bit. So, say I'm a Canon shooter and I've invested over the past couple of years in 580EXs. And I've got, uh, say, three of them in my bag. And they're all great. They all work fine. And I'm, I'm familiar with them. Should I go out and maybe put two of them on eBay and get a 600 EXRT, or should I stay put with what I have, or what's your advice? You know, that's that's really a challenging question. I think that the first adopters of this new system are going to be guys and ladies who shoot for a living and specifically shoot events and weddings. Um, those folks should be flocking out to this new wireless gear. Um, if you're if you're a guy who shoots or a lady who shoots on the weekends from time to time and you pull the stuff out. I don't think there's going to be the sense of urgency. I mean, it's come out this 600 EXRT, I think, is about 640 bucks. The radio transmitter, the STE3RT, is 325 bucks. Mm-hmm. So the reality is, you know, you're looking for like a single light solution. You're paying 950 plus dollars for a single light radio solution. Um, so you know, that said, I mean, kind of go back and let, and let me let's all jump in the time machine for a minute. And think about when Apple introduced OS X. Those of us who were driving G4 machines, as I recall, now correct me if I'm wrong, but as I recall, we were told, hey, you, you can't do that on your old Motorola processor. You got to have right. a machine with an Intel processor to get its new OS. It's progress, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we've we've taken a quantum leap. Should everybody jump? Not right now. A year from now, I think that, the, you know, the prices will come down. Um, and I also think that the the functionality will be more widely understood. For instance, I discovered that I can shoot high. I can shoot any, essentially any shutter speed I want. And yet, in the Canon manual, it says that on pre two thousand twelve cameras, with the only two two thousand twelve cameras we have announced are the one DX and the five D Mark III. So, on my five D Mark II and virtually every other Canon camera that anybody has their hands on right now. The manual says that the max sync speed is deprecated by full stop. So translated, that means on a 5D Mark II, theoretically, I should only be able to shoot up to a hundredth of a second. Mm -hmm. Reading that was a big bummer for me. So what's one of the first things I did when the gear showed up from London? I, of course, (laughs) switched it into high speed sync. Because you're still arena. (laughs) I just want to to push the envelope. You know, if if in fact it doesn't work, then I won't experience that. And um, to the contrary, I've shot nearly 1,000 frames in the last seven days on both my 5D Mark II and my 60D at all shutter speeds, right up to an 8,000th of a second. And I've yet to experience one sync failure. So the other thing that amazes me, um, the manual says that the range, the radio range, is good up to about 100 feet. They say 30 meters, which is 98 feet. So, of course, we run outside with – I run outside with one of my boys and I said, you go way down the driveway. We live out in the country, so we've got a long driveway. And I said, just run down to the end and let's see how far we can fire these things off. So we stopped at about 350 feet. And um, I was able to change modes. I was able to change power. I mean, I have no idea. Although you at the TWIP meetup, of course, said 
the answer to that I never thought of. Why would somebody want to shoot at 300 feet? And you said because you want a light helicopter, you know, helicopter pilot for a midair shoot. So <laughs> exactly, uh, I'm waiting. But I can come- I can think of a couple. I mean, yeah, I was saying if you want to shoot air to air, and you want to light the pilot in the other helicopter as it's hovering above the Himalayas or something, right? So you yeah. could do that now. Um, but also, if you want to do do things like architectural photography, say you wanted to light up the interior of a building with say five of these different strobes. Okay, you could do okay. that and then shoot from outside, right? And then do your exposure to get the lawn, lawn lighting and the exterior lighting and then also illuminate the interior okay. and trigger everything from camera position. Right? I'm going to have to call you before I open my big fat mouth and put my foot in it and say I can't think of any reasons to use this long range <laughs> triggering system. Oh, I can up, think of lots of reasons. <laughs> you've come up with some – you've come up – and I, I have to confess, again, the manual says 30 meters, living out in the country where there's no radio interference – um, I think if somebody were shooting in an industrial environment or commercial environment where there's lots and lots of things begging for the same 2.4 gigahertz bandwidth that these speed lights are operating on, the range would not be as long. But even still, I mean, again, I go back to the, the wedding photographers. If you have a dance floor that's 100 feet by 100 feet, that's a pretty darn big dance floor. And yet theoretically, according to the specs in the manual, you can control your speed lights from anywhere on that dance floor. Yeah. So I think that we're going to find um, lots and lots of uses for this technology that we we really haven't even considered. One one thing I found in the manual, I haven't tried it myself. We now have a mode um, where we can link. We can literally with a cable through a pre-2012 camera through the hot shoe on the 1DX and the 5D Mark III. We can actually trigger a slave speed light and a camera attached to that speed light. So sports shooters, wildlife photographers, those kind of guys I think are going to find functionality. You can use the remote or the slave speed light or the trigger as either a, a flash or just as a trigger. Um, and the, perhaps the most exciting thing for me, and this is frankly a matter of catching up to Nikon and then going a little bit farther, Nikon for a long, long time with her SU-800 digital commander has had the ability to assign a specific flash group to a specific mode. For instance, you could take group A in Nikon and say, I'm going to make this ITTL, and group B, I'm going to make it manual, and group C, I'm actually going to make it ITTL, but for this shot, I want to turn it off. Canon has responded, um, I think, in an amazing way. So we now have that functionality, and we have it across five groups. Normally, in the past, we've only had three groups. Now we've got five groups and we can change the mode and we can turn each of those groups on and off. But here's the one big caveat. This is an instance where the manual is absolutely right. You have to have right now a 1DX or 5D Mark III to make this new pixie dust work in terms of getting that five group functionality. Ah. Uh, so, you know, there's a reason that old your old friend Sill is, is definitely going to be thinking about getting his hands on a 5D Mark III. Those, those marketing people, man, I tell you. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, here's a real-world scenario. Just a classic three-light portrait. You've got a speed light uh, is a key light, fill light, and hair light. And if you want to say, if you want to see what each of those lights is doing individually, what it's truly contributing to the shot, heretofore I've had to walk around and hit the power switch on each of those speed lights. You know, with the new 5D Mark III and the 600 EXRT, I'll be able from the basically the comfort of the back of my camera to turn those individual groups on and off. 
So for a Canonista, that's that's really an exciting development. So Doug K. So turning this back and zooming out a little bit from such a tight focus on Canon, no pun intended. Looking at the other manufacturers like Nikon, Sony, etc., do you think this is the the Canon just like sort of leapfrog and say, okay, enough with this this you know strobe pulse in RFs or not RF but infrared style data transfer? It's time to go RF full on. Is can is, are the SB one thousands or nine fifties or whatever that we see next from Nikon going to have this RF technology? Well, I I think this is clearly a situation where Canon really jumped way ahead on this. I I use, uh, I've got an SB900 and a pair of SB600s. And from the very beginning, I got frustrated with the optical triggering, uh, the command mode. It's just, you know, I did, I wasn't even working with softboxes at first, but, you know, you have to go to so much trouble and twist them in such strange directions to make sure you get the things to fire. So I've been using Pocket Wizards since they first came out with the uh, the Flex and the Mini for Nikon, which I guess is probably around maybe August or September, something like that, would you say? Yeah. yeah. I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And I love them. But, but you know, I looked at Sill's videos and read what he wrote about them, and it seems to me that Canon has actually done a better job than what uh, Pocket Wizards have been able to do. I mean, I, I love this idea of getting a single ready light for all the units and knowing know, that everything's crazy. up. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Uh, if it told me which one was the slowest to charge, that would be But uh, no, I, I, it sounds like Canon just really hit this one out of the ballpark, and I think they've done a great job. I don't, I don't know that the anybody other than the top two, uh, maybe you guys know, but anybody other than the top two have complete you know, TTL uh, systems that work with remote triggering like this at all, do they? I, I don't know, but I have a hunch that someone in the TWIP army is going to chime in and tell us. Yeah, we'll find out fast enough. Yeah. You will find yeah. out as soon as yeah. the show launches who who has it. Yeah. If, or my, if my, my, guess is that, my guess is that Canon caught Nikon by surprise with this one. They even caught, caught Sil by surprise. That they did oh, such yeah, a good they job. totally. I, like I say, a huge shout of thanks out to Canon Europe for bringing me into the fold at the last minute. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's great. I love that. Cool. I, I so what think, is, you know, so, the pocket so, wizards are not, the pocket wizards are a huge improvement over the basic optical system, but they're not perfect either. So does this mean, and this goes out to both of you guys, does this mean that, that companies like pocket wizard and radio popper, for example, their days are numbered because no. now the camera manufacturers have wised up and decided to incorporate this wireless into the flash themselves. You know, uh, so let me jump in. I, I, years ago, I, I met Kevin King. It was a guy who literally invented the radio popper in the living room and garage of his house outside of Chandler, Arizona. Um, and I really admire what Kevin did uh, to bring the idea of radio-controlled TTL technology. I mean, he did something in his garage in his living room that everybody said was impossible. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years later, Pocket Wizard responds with a controlled TL system that I think is a great step forward. Are you know these are two two great companies, and I've been doing more and more work recently, which I hope we'll have a chance to talk about in the future with Pocket Wizard. And I think that, uh, for instance, Pocket Wizard's new Plus Three, which they announced at WP or just before WPPI last month, um, that's a hundred and thirty nine dollar radio trigger that gives you the ability to turn on and off up to four different groups of flash. Mm, so yeah. let's face it, you know, um, what I get enthused about with my with Canon speed lights is frankly only a part of how I light my images. I'm, I use large flash um, Profoto gear as much as I like 
cannon gear. There are some things that big units can do better. So Paco Wizard's not going anywhere. Yeah, um, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, and, and yeah I think, I, I'm I'm discounting big lights. You know, and my oh, my brain is know. focused on these small lights. So you're absolutely yeah. Right. But let me let me share this with you. I, I I'm um I'm looking forward to getting back in my studio and testing this out. But I have this theory that the new radio technology built into the speed lights is going to enable us because this is not um, the traditional Pocket Wizard or you know the cheap eBay triggers and all of that stuff that basically just say. Fire now, that's not what's in this new generation of speed lights. Yeah. And it occurred to me the other day, and I've got to get in the studio and test this out, but I'm pretty sure that I'm right, that now with the radio trigger on the Canon speed lights, if we run those speed lights in manual, meaning that we're adjusting the power individually on each unit, rather than using a pre-flash and ETTL to do that, we can then use those speed lights in a mixed situation so that when the speed light fires, it will trigger the optical sensor on the on the Profoto gear. Yeah. And there are situations where you say, gosh, you know, I just need just a little pool of light that really is suited for coming from a speed light. And there are times where you say, no, I need a huge field of light, which is better off from a studio head. And I think for the first time, and this is an area that I'm going to be looking forward to playing with, yeah. we're going to see some interesting synergies between big and small lights because in the past, the problem was even when one was in manual mode with the optical triggering system, there was a pre-flash coming from the master yep. Yep. sending those instructions out to the slaves. Now, if you're if you're not in ETTL mode, that pre-flash is gone. All of that. And, that, and that's communic- the key. Yeah. And that, on the Nikon side too, that, that pre-flash is what screwed everything up because you couldn't, yep. you couldn't use any old school optical you – know, I got a bag full of old optical – uh, you know, triggers, right? You plug it into your PC cord and plug it in, and if it mm-hmm. sees a flash, it'll trip another flash. So that those are were antiquated with the Nikon CLS system because it's using those pre-flashes in order to trigger the other flash and send its information from the main flash over to the other one. So now, yeah. now that goes, right? That's gone away with this RF system. Exactly. And when you consider the small, compact form factor of a speed light. I can see situations where pro shooters or enthusiasts are going to say, gosh, you know, now I can hide a speed light literally inside the frame behind a wine bottle or whatever, and it can zoom out and, you know, throw a small pool of light on something that's really important to me that I've not been able to do before. So, I'm, you know, as you can tell from my enthusiasm, (laughs) I think the future's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's it's a good time. All right, guys, before we before we jump into this next story, this show is just chock full of stuff. This week was like, I don't know, photo week or something. <laughs> but before we go into the next story, I want to take a quick moment to re- remind the TWIP Army about our Facebook and Google Plus pages. On Facebook, you can check us out at facebook.com slash thisweekinphotography, or you can find us on Google Plus. Just do a search for TWIP. And uh, or follow me, and you'll see that I'm following all the Twip stuff. But you can find us on we're we're easy to find. So uh, start our, or or start a conversation there, or ask a, ask us a question or something over there on either one of those sites, and we will respond to you. All right, guys. Uh, story number three, um, and I in my head I have this you know the scantily clad woman with the number three walking around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have her here in you know my basement. <laughs> In your basement. Sil, what is going on in Paso Robles, man? Yeah, Go on. I, you know, you're coming from the pixelated world headquarters is the old wine cellar underneath the kitchen. That's where I am. Silence so. of the lambs over there. Yeah, right. Not like that. Not, we cleaned it up. It's not like that anymore at all. 
<laughs> all right, all right. All, all I've got is a guy running around trying to hit me with a folding chair. <laughs> it rubs the lotion on its skin. That's all. Awesome. <laughs> all right, story number three. Um, this just happened a couple of hours ago. That's how hot this is. So, Apple announced the iPad three and the i and uh, an upgraded version of iPhoto for the iPad. And I'm, you know, honestly, I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. But I'm most excited about iPhoto. <laughs> uh, I don't know. No, no, no. For the iPad. I, I, I mean, I like I, the high-res retina display on the iPad 3 and the new yeah. chip and all that. But iPhoto is gorgeous. Did you I, see it? I, I, you know, let me just jump in here because I I felt like I just waited in hours. I literally, after the announcement, like an hour after the announcement, tried to log into the Apple Store. Yeah. And place my pre-order. I've not had an iPad. I've been holding out. Wait, you don't? Out, you've never owned out. an iPad, really? I've never owned an iPad. You're the one. <laughs> I am the one guy. I am the one guy, and I, I've just, I've just held out. And I said, all right, if this thing's got Retina, that's all I care about. If this thing's got Retina, I am totally all over. I don't care. I guess within reason, I don't care what it costs. And so I totally suckered up. And I read the specs and watched that cool piece of video they've got on Apple.com. And then I tried to pre-order it. Oh, my God. That was an odyssey. Really? Okay. Well, just the oh, server was slammed, I bet, right? It, I never knew what a 1.1 error is. That means basically that you know Anonymous has come and crashed your server. Yeah. Um, yeah. It t- I had literally – I was like, well, maybe – Maybe Firefox will be better than Chrome. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I know. I'll I'll light up Safari, which I never use, thinking, oh, there'll be like an express lane yeah. for people logging into Apple.com with Safari browsers. Yep. No, it was – I had like six orders going at one time, hoping one of them would complete. Well, what, you want to know the secret, Syl? I, I can tell yeah, you the secret. You please. and the rest of the world, what the secret is to getting your order in uh, to get one of these things. Um, you were, you ready for this? This is, yeah. this is revolutionary. Stay up late and wait till everybody else goes to sleep. I'm, I'm looking I, forward to it. I don't know that I want to share this, but I'm going to do it anyway. You heard it here first on this week in photo. Wait 24 hours. <laughs> I'm not convinced there's going to be any tomorrow. <laughs> but, but still, still, I'm, I'm telling you it, the sun will come up tomorrow and they'll, they're going to make more of these things than they could possibly serve. So you're going to get one if you want one. You don't need to be oh, the first okay. in line it, to get it. <laughs> it's already on its way to my house. So. I mean, they're going to they're gonna deliver them in something like nine days. So think how many they must already have in stock. Oh, they must yeah. have made a ton of these things. They probably rented out small countries to use everyone's garage to, to yeah. store these things. Are yeah, you going to buy one, Doug? No, I've got an iPad 2 that I think is plenty good for what I need. Ugh. See, I'm on the iPad 1 right now. I'm looking at it, right, as we, as we discuss this. And... I don't need the iPad 3, but I, you know, I'm, the geek in me is just pulling at my heels to get, to get it. So, what, Sil, why, why do I want this? You, you see the show notes there with all the specs in there. Like, it's got the Retina display with 2048 by 1536 yeah. uh, or yeah. 3.1 million pixels, four times the resolution of the iPad 2. It's got their new A5X chip to run that. It's got a 5-megapixel EyeSight camera, and it can record video in 1080p, plus it supports the 4G LTE networks, so ultra-high-speed networking, um, which will also allow it to broadcast your your network or the 4G LTE network as a mobile Wi-Fi hotspot. And they're starting at the same price as the, as the iPad 2s at $499. Bucks. So 
what in that list is I mean other other than you never had an iPad makes you yeah. want to get this? No, thing? why why did I hold out for a year when I finally decided that you know every pro shooter has to have an iPad? Yeah. To like oh you know you're in that you're in that elevator ride with the the art buyer of your dreams and she says well let me see some of your work and you're like whipping out your iPhone and it's like oh yeah no, you're, no, no, or no, you're I, bringing out a paper portfolio that's actually kind of nostalgic nah, that'd be kind of old school man to bring out yeah. a paper portfolio and start whipping through the pages yeah. I don't know I th- I think I think there's role for a paper portfolio we'll talk about that on a different show because I'm actually reworking mine right now yeah but, yeah. Um, we actually talked about that before, and I, you know, I, I agree with you. Uh, not to down the people I mean, with paper portfolios. I think those are, in many ways, a lot better than a digital one. Reader, so. Reader's Digest summary on that concept. If you're going after a magazine photo editor because you want to shoot for a magazine, you have to show that photo editor your images on paper. Mm-hmm. They're not publishing. You know, yes, they are publishing an electronic edition if they're alive today. But they're still making buying decisions based upon how images look on paper. Yeah. So yeah. that's the short answer about why. All right. So what got me excited about the iPad 3? I, I, I totally got sucked in by the retina display. And then it's like the new chip. I'm not a chip head, but I was like, oh, that sounds you know cool. Um, 4G definitely um, is an attraction for me. Do I you know need it? No. I'm not even sure that 4G reaches – my house. It's probably like a hundred feet short of my my doorstep. Yeah, you're, um, you're still waiting on dial up out there, aren't you? <laughs> no, no, we got we got some dial up last week. You know, the tomato can and the string. As long as you crank the house up yeah. every ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, we're not that far out in the country, but anyway, um, you know, I you know I look at it. I think the display for me is a shooter. I mean, the display. I I am dying to like figure out how to work with the guys at X-Rite and say, all right, let's profile this display and see what this color gamut is. Mm. Mark my words. I, I finally now get the future when we talk about, oh, yeah, you know, HDSLR cinema and I shoot in HD. And there are cameras out there that shoot beyond HD at, you know, amazing resolutions. And you say, well, why the heck would you ever want to? Well, I now know why I would want to in terms of future proofing. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got an iPad 3 that's got more resolution – than the than HD my, TV in my room. Exactly. In my living room. I know. It's crazy. Exactly. The one I just paid buku bucks for like two months ago. Um, and I think that's I think that truly is the future. Apple forever has been a leading adopter of amazing technologies that have a track record of becoming mainstream. Yeah. So whether we're looking, you know, at two uh, K images or four K images in the future, um, mark my words, I think it begins right here with this iPad in terms of um, seeing the retina concept, high res, so where pixels go away, seeing seeing that concept go mainstream, and eventually it will be on TVs. I've no doubt. Computer displays. I've no doubt. Now, now, Doug. So um, I know you. So you're an iPad. You're an iPad two right now. Right. That's right? correct. So I I'm on an iPad one, and I tried to download iPhoto. And it promptly threw up an error message. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it said, said, "You got to be kidding." <laughs> no, it's well, yeah, it giggled, and then oh, it, then oh, it you're said, the guy. "Yeah, I'm the guy. I'm the Luddite." And it said, "It said the message said something like, you must have an iPad with a forward-facing camera in order to download this piece of software.'" However, Which makes no sense at all, right? Exactly, but it's but I can download it on my iPhone, which it has a forward-facing camera. But I can put it on my iPhone, but I can't put it on my my older iPad. So, are you have you had a chance to take a look at the new iPhoto? And what are your what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I watched you know various feeds of the press conference today. Looked at it. Uh, iPhoto looks pretty cool, mm-hmm. but 
And, and I think it's going to be a big hit because it comes from Apple and it's the easiest photo app to buy. You know, there's so much uh, new stuff that's coming out on that platform. And if you look at Snapseed from Nick or even Photoshop Touch, you know, we talked about that on our previous show, I think. Um, maybe last week, I think you guys talked about it. Um, you know, the totally different revolutionary user interfaces, different ways to use your fingers and stuff to, to get stuff done. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, I think iPhoto is going to be a big hit simply because it comes from Apple and they have a head start. Um, I sort of liked, you know, the, the sample things. We saw the little color swatch thing looks sort of cool. Uh, they're you know, doing color correction by seeing, you know, a whole bunch of choices like it came out of a color swatch book was sort of neat. But um, but in in terms of like the the like this the audience for this week in photo I would I if I could if I could corral them I'd say that they were advanced amateurs and amateur photographers right so people out there that aren't necessarily paying their mortgage with photography but they like to they enjoy shooting and they're probably Lightroom or Aperture users and they they post process and they may make a print now and then and you know they're they're competent in some cases excellent photographers. Should they, like right now, now that we have the retina display on the iPad, should those that group of people be rushing out to get the iPad and running this new version of iPhoto on there to show their wares and, and post-process their images on the one hand? Or should they continue what they're doing with Lightroom? And we're going to talk about Lightroom 4 in a minute. But should they continue what they're doing with Lightroom and not really look at, hey, this new device as a primary a primary target for my output. I mean, to me, it's only primary if you don't have anything else. Yeah. You know, the the post process the best post the best post processing tool you can have is the one you've got with you. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it does. You know, and uh, you know, I think the the iPad even back to the version one was a marvelous thing for the professional photographer to show his portfolio, as Sills talking about. And we all have our portfolios on there, no matter what. And now Sill will too. And uh, <laughs> but. Um, but as a professional post-processing platform, I don't see how it's going to cut it, especially when things like Lightroom continue to advance and Photoshop continues to advance. But there are two situations. There are times when, for reasons of portability, you're not going to have your big iMac with you or your laptop even. And there is a whole genre of uh, photography, if you will. Um, you know, uh, I, uh, iPhoneography is an example of it. I mentioned it earlier in the show where, where part of the creative challenge is to do it with simpler, less expensive, more portable tools. And I think that's, again, maybe not so much for the pro, but it's a creative challenge I think a lot of people are intrigued with. Yeah. No, I just, I just wonder, and I put this out to both of you guys, I, I wonder if... Th- and I'm hoping so. I'm not. I'm not being curmudgeon. I, I'm wondering if the iPad is going to be become a like like indispensable tool for professional photographers. Like you know the photographers that are going out on on photo safaris and all this stuff out in the middle of, the, of nowhere. Should they? Should it be prerequisite that they have an iPad in their bag? And well, then- I'll, I'll tell you what I wish the iPad did. Um, I wish the iPad would accept HDMI video in. And let me use it as a monitor. Imagine if I could have a um, retina display monitor that showed my image in that form factor when I'm setting up for a studio shot. Yeah. Um, you know, right now I can do that if I buy a, a Marshall monitor or something like that intended for video. But wouldn't that, I mean, and I can use my laptop to a certain extent if I use LiveView. 
But wouldn't that be a terrific application to just be an HDMI monitor? Yeah. Hey, so I, that, that's what I'd love to see. So what about what about Adobe? So Adobe recently announced Photoshop for the iPad or a version of Photoshop mm-hmm. for the iPad that they had. Well, they announced it at Photoshop World and recently released it. So putting these two head to head, iPhoto for the iPad from Apple and Photoshop for the iPad from Adobe, who uh, who are you going to be taking to the prom? Uh, I think next week's prom date, um, come Friday when my iPad comes in, um, I think next week's prom date is going to be with photo Smith. Um, neither, which, which I just taking the chick in the corner. I just (laughs) found online. I want to give a shout out to those guys. Thank you for that hard work. Um, having never seen my date, it's totally a blind date. Here's the thing. Silarina taking a blind date to the prom. Look at you. There we go. Um, you know, here's the thing. For me, I, I have full expectation that I'm not going to take – and you've recently seen my old laptop, Frederick. You know how big and heavy it is. Yes. Um, I'm looking forward to not taking that guy on the road anymore. And frankly, I'm I'm going to really do my best to make this new iPad my road machine. I mean I've nice. checked out wireless keyboards and all of that um, and I found some cool hardware in that regard. And you the can one absolutely thing, present from it. It's uh, you at, can plug you know, that thing abso- right into the absolutely. projector. So the one, the one like Achilles heel for me right now has been um, my workflow is ninety nine percent. I know we've got Lightroom four coming up. Um, my light, my my workflow is like ninety nine percent based in Lightroom now. I've been using Photoshop since three point zero. So I've been you know, around Photoshop for a long time. Yeah, but I really, really think like. Lightroom operates now. That is, you know, that's my umbilical cord as a pro shooter is I need Lightroom. So apparently there's no direct implementation of Lightroom on the iPad, but based on online and and, um, trading some tweets and emails and things with guys tonight before the show started, it looks like Photosmith is going to be a good kind of intermediate between shooting in the raw in the field and making selects and rating and so on and being able to get home and just basically export all of that metadata manipulation right into Lightroom. Wow. All right. I'll let you know if it works, you know, let me know how it works. So, so speaking like you, you foreshadowed there. So speaking of Lightroom, Four. Speaking of Lightroom Four, yesterday, <laughs> as the show, as we record this, we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, yesterday, what is today? Wednesday, the what? The seventh. Seven. So, the seventh. So yesterday, on the sixth, Adobe released Lightroom Four to the public. So they took it out of public beta and went into public public, I guess. And there is a bunch of cool features in here. One of the coolest features is the price. So you can check it out. So the full retail version is one hundred forty nine bucks. Um, but owners of previous versions of Lightroom can upgrade for 79 bucks. And just quickly before we dive into it, some of the new features of Lightroom 4 include highlight and shadow recovery sliders, expanded adjustment brushes, including the ability to select and brush in white balance. What I think is, for me, that's one of the coolest things. So being able to, so still you could shoot an image in, say, tungsten orange, right? And then paint in a color correction on certain parts of the image, which is really cool. Um, and you can paint a noise reduction. So say you wanted the background noisy, but you want the subject to be crisp, you could paint that in, which is crazy. 
They've got a new book module to create photo books. They did a deal with Blurb. A new map module so you can organize your images by geographic location. They finally have video support but Woo-hoo. but you know it's not like i'm sorry it's not like aperture's video support but they've got the ability to edit and trim video clips so you can bring them in and you can um you can publish you, i think you can apply effects to videos too so you can apply adjustments to videos but yeah the, you can essentially frederick you could based on my view of it of the beta you can essentially color grade video yeah yeah so you could color grade video you can publish out to facebook and Flickr. this is a cool thing so i know you're going to get get happy over this soft proofing finally mm-hmm. made amen. It in here amen amen Thank finally you. in a pro tool like you can soft proof years i'd send in that recommendation yeah yeah which is which is crazy and then he put in the, the the list of features which is weird that you can email images directly out of lightroom that sounds like a that's like a grasping for straws feature there <laughs> but oh, well but uh so uh, you know uh, doug i'll throw it to you first on this so lightroom 4 just came out you're a lightroom user so yep. uh, what do you think of this? Have you been using the beta? And is it should people be pulling out their wallets again after buying that the, all that Canon hardware <laughs> and the <laughs> iPad? Should they be buying the Lightroom 4 as well? This, this is an easy one. It's an absolute yes. I, uh, I used the beta from the first day they released the beta. And I bought the uh, upgrade last night. And um, I'll, I'll give a, a couple of caveats. But this is... To me, a big, big upgrade to this product. So much so that um, my workflow normally starts in Lightroom and more often than not in the past used to go to Photoshop. I used to use Lightroom for organization. Uh, A lot of the things that I could do in ACR, I would do in Lightroom. But anything that involved masking, obviously layers, things like that, I'd, I'd get into Photoshop right away. This version... Because of the new things that you can brush, which is very similar uh, to layers in certain ways, uh, and some of the other features, soft proofing is awesome. Um, this has already changed my workflow so that I go to Photoshop much less often. Mm. Um, so it's a it's a big jump. The one thing I would say about the upgrade is be a little careful if you if you do work with Photoshop because the Photoshop. Uh, Adobe Camera Raw stuff hasn't been updated yet, and so the process version. If you move a if you move a a raw file or or or, or a, a, a DNG file back and forth, you're not going to be able to get the new process version in Adobe Camera Raw slash Photoshop, yeah. and that it will be. It, this happened when they went to Lightroom three. Same thing happened, and so. Um, you might want to actually wait to use it uh, if you do that in your workflow until uh, we see what I assume is Photoshop 6, yeah, CS6. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. The the whole early adopter curse, right? Yeah, because that's the only time I get into trouble is when I move um, um, a DNG or, or other raw file into Photoshop and suddenly my corrections are lost because they were in the new process. All right, so so Silarina, um, I just did some quick calculations here. So <laughs> <laughs> you're not calculating how thin my wallet is this week, are you? So so this month, so if I buy my new 5D Mark III for thirty four hundred dollars and change, if I get Cha-ching. one six hundred EXRT for about six hundred bucks, if yeah. I buy an iPad three, wait, wait, you need you need a you need like a radio transmitter to make that six hundred. <laughs> I'm leaving that yeah. off. Yeah. I'm wait, leaving that off. Okay, but if I get if I get my iPad three, that's another five hundred bucks, roughly, right? Yeah, uh, or four forty nine, whatever. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And then I throw in Lightroom 4 on top of that. I'm looking at, I'm scratching five grand this month. $4,649 that I need to shell out this month in order to stay state of the but art. I'm <laughs> worth it, damn it, because Lightroom is only $79 to upgrade. Thank you. God, for those uh, okay. friends that are okay. So instead of instead of four thousand six hundred forty nine, it's uh, four thousand five hundred. <laughs> Whatever. It's been a tough week for Canonistas. <laughs> oh, jeez. So if you had to drop something off that list, so the five D, the six hundred EXRT, yeah. the iPad three, or Lightroom yeah, four, yeah. you need you're on a budget, and your wife is giving you the stink eye. Which which one should you drop off the list? Oh, my wife's been giving me the stink eye for a long time. You got that's permanent she, stink eye. That's, <laughs> why, that's why she doesn't listen to Twip because I've never told her it exists. Um, uh, you know, I don't. I mean, absolutely. You know, if you've got Lightroom and you can upgrade for seventy nine bucks, uh, that's a slam dunk. I mean, I, I can't. I was, I was ready to do it at the old pricing scheme. I think the uh, previous upgrades were like two hundred bucks or yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, you know, the whole iPad thing. I mean. In your, I, I, I don't know. I would say if you're an odd, I'll probably forevermore be an odd numbered iPadder. All right. Uh, I used to be that way with Photoshop. You know, I wouldn't do every upgrade. I just do the odd numbered upgrades. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so until they really kind of jacked us around on the upgrade scheme, and then yeah, that's, all, that's a whole other show. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, you know, gosh, I, I'm in no position because I have frankly been looking for all four of these items: the 5D Mark III. A new speed light system, an iPad with Retina, and Lightroom that has video capability as well as soft proofing. It's just been a tough week for my wallet. Yeah. So, what would I cut off the list? I don't know. Food? My children? I don't know. <laughs> um, well, well, Doug, for you, you can take off the thirty-four hundred dollars for the five D Mark III. That brings your monthly bill down to one thousand two hundred and forty-nine dollars. Right. Well, I've actually, got, no. I've, I've already got the iPad too. We could take <laughs> no. We could take off the uh, the six hundred RT. That brings you down to six forty-nine, and you don't need the the iPad. So yeah, so you're right. just it's the, like a seventy-nine dollar week. <laughs> you're just Lightroom. Man. I got off. I got off cheap. But I'll tell you another secret though, which is for all the new technology that comes out i'm the opposite of sill once again we're, we're different in every way including hair color but um uh i am a version i'm, I'm an even version guy because what i've learned to do is always buy my wife version one of something and then i get to buy version two guilt-free yeah. So she has don't the let, first don't iPhone, let Sil, I get the second. Don't let Sil fool you. He is not an odd number guy because he did not have the first iPad, as he as <laughs> he do. told I'm you. And to as far as I know, iPad. number one is an odd number. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I got I got off cheap this week, and I'm, I'm glad for that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, look at me. I mean, the, the, one, the two things I'm lusting after are the iPad 3, which – I don't know. I'm. I don't need to run out and get it right now, but I probably will eventually get one. And of course, I'm going to get Lightroom Four right after we end this this show. <laughs> so I got to have Lightroom Four. I've got the beta, and I will have the shipping version. All right, you'll, you'll love Lightroom Four. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I've been playing with the. I've been playing with the public beta, of course. But of course, you can't do anything serious in there because it's a public beta. So interesting. Lots of stuff to talk about, man. I mean, this has been a crazy, crazy episode. Uh, one thing I want to throw out there is TWIP, This Week in Photo, has a video to brain store. 
up there uh, with video training on Lightroom 4's new features. Uh, it's just 30 bucks, $29.99. And we're going to, or actually Video to Brain is throwing in a 20% off discount on it until the end of March if you use the code LR20. That's LR20. And uh, we will link to that store in the show notes for this episode. So just come back to the site if you're listening to this while you're driving. And uh, you will find the link over to that. And it'll go through all the features that are new in this new version. So it's really cool. All right, gents, it is time for some listener Q&A. This is a segment when our guests, that means you too, answer questions that have come in from our Facebook group, Twitter, and our Google Plus page. Google Plus page. And the first question is from Terry. Terry says, I've been shooting since 1986 when I was in the army and I've been taking my photography more seriously for the past couple of years. I'm thinking about starting to do wedding photography on a part-time basis. My question, he wants to do his first two weddings and he wants, he's wondering, is he getting in over his head or not? Sill. What do you think? Should Terry start shooting weddings or, or should he hold his cards? Um, well, I have long said, Terry, that wedding photographers are essentially combat photographers in better clothes. So maybe your army background will help you um, if you were a shooter in the army. Um, but more seriously, I think the most important thing is to remember that you're, you can only be the judge of that. And you're effectively in a position to create memories for people um, in a way that you really don't get a second shot at. So if you're in over your head, I guess if you feel like you're in over your head, then you probably are. If you feel comfortable about your skill set and if you've had a good long conversation with the bride-to-be and the bride-to-be's mom. I mean one of the – I don't shoot a lot of weddings like any. And a couple years ago, I agreed to shoot a wedding – I guess to return a favor to a friend and man, the meeting with the bride to be, she handed me like the list of shots. She's like, Oh, I need all these. And I was like, (laughs) okay, you have to understand. I have no idea who these people are. I'll photograph all these people, but you had like names on them. I need a shot of aunt Effie with uncle Bob and (laughs) the whole thing. And I was like, thanks. Now you also just understand you've got to give me a spotter. You have to give me somebody who is going to go find Aunt Marge and Uncle Bob and put them in the same frame together, you know, because they haven't spoken for four years. And I'm not going to go do that. (laughs) But more seriously, um, manage the bride's expectations with your skill set. Make sure you're prepared. Think about redundant gear, you know. If there's Mm. anything that's going to fail that would prohibit you from continuing the shoot, you need to borrow or rent that piece of gear again so that you can carry on because I guarantee you gremlins will come out under the pressure of the shoot and you're just going to have to soldier on and and find a way to make those shots because you at a wedding that's why I don't do weddings I can't take the pressure you know so at a wedding go go ahead oh I was just gonna say at a wedding you just gotta you've got to have the redundancy of your gear and the clarity of thought to continue shooting when you feel like everything around you is melting down. Yeah. What about what about you, Doug? Should uh, should Terry should Terry put out his uh, his shingle and start? I'm assuming Terry's a guy um, and uh, start shooting weddings now or not? No, no. 
no, he just said no. I'm binary about this. No, no. No, I think I think you know unless he's done it, I don't think he has a clue about how hard it is to shoot a wedding, yeah. and all the things that you guys just said. It's yeah. you know what good wedding photographers are some of the hardest working photographers in the world, oh, yeah. and I would never do that unless I did at least a half a dozen jobs as a second shooter thank you that's that was going to be my advice yep because you've got to you know you have to deal with things that you never imagined and you want to see how a pro really does it um it's a it's a incredibly difficult task everything from not just the gear but the uh as you mentioned the psychology and the planning and the organization and you know you got certain shots as you said you don't come home with those shots you're dead yeah, no, I I 100% agree with you. I mean, shooting a wedding is is it's not like oh hey I'll just I'll just grab my camera and show up and take some pictures and I'll make some money, take the check and done. I mean, it's everything from meeting with the bride and groom before the shoot, doing the engagement shoot. What are your prices going to be? Make like Sil was saying, making sure you have gear and redundant gear so you can capture this once in a lifetime event. Um, knowing who's there so you know what to shoot and what not to shoot, like. Aunt Effie doesn't like to be shot with with Uncle Bob because they had a divorce, whatever. You know, all this crazy stuff. And then after the shoot, then there's the post-processing and interaction with the bride. There's the collections, you know, making sure you get paid for the thing. And then delivering the wedding. And then what lab do you use? You know, do you shoot? Do you send it to this lab or that lab? And why? And then how do you build that album? And what album company do you? It just goes on and on and on. So like you were saying, Doug, I would suggest, my suggestion to Terry would be to find a wedding photographer that you admire and offer your services to him or her for free so that you can be a grip or an assistant or whatever on a couple of weddings so you can see what it is you're getting into before you dive in. Because you do not, I can't stress this enough, you do not want to be practicing how to shoot weddings on people's once-in-a-lifetime day. You know, yeah. and then you're like, oh, I'm sorry, man, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that I, my camera was set on ISO 2500. Tungsten. Outside. Don't forget, yeah, know? tungsten. <laughs> yeah, or tungsten or whatever. You, you know, or in your shooting JPEG. You know, none of that stuff. So just make sure that you're equipped because these are... You know, weddings may on the surface may seem like easy money when you when you sit down in your spreadsheet and you're like, hey, if I just shoot three weddings a month and charge twenty five hundred dollars or whatever, mm-hmm. I can make some serious money. You know, yeah, and remember that, that uh, wedding photography is only 10 percent, 10 percent photography. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. so much else to do. Yeah. yeah and the rest hey, is aggravation. Right. Hey, <laughs> Yeah. Before, let me just jump in here. Last month, I happened to be in Vegas. I think you were there, but we didn't connect for the Wedding and Portrait Photographers WPPI convention. Mm-hmm. No, and, I didn't go. You know, I, I go because I believe in cross-pollination. I don't shoot weddings, but I always learn stuff. And I, I continue to say, and I've said it for years, anybody who's thinking or is in the wedding business, even on a part-time basis – needs to invest in a career and every February go to Vegas for the WPPI convention. Yeah. It's an amazing conclave of seminars and even the I mean even if you don't go to the convention if you just buy a pass to the expo hall the speakers in the expo hall were pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I'd agree with that. Definitely if you're if you're thinking about taking wedding photography seriously or wedding or portrait photography seriously that is a must attend 
event. All right, gents, I'm going to skip the next question. We're going to save this. Let's save that one for next week. But I want to jump into our picks of the week, which can be anything, as, as you guys know, as long as it's somehow related to photography. But before we do that, I want to give a nod to our sponsor, our other sponsor, it's Squarespace.com. We are brought to you by them. They're the fast and easy way to create a high quality website or blog. And as, as we've been saying on the show, Squarespace has an easy-to-use user interface for creating and managing your website or web presence. This, they optimize your site, or they optimize Squarespace, the back end, so that both beginners and experts can jump in and start creating the site quickly and easily. They've got hundreds of design templates to choose from, meaning you can just pick one and then tweak it so that it fits your specific needs. They've got both iPhone and iPad apps, so you can and log in and update your blog on the go from wherever you are. And the cool thing is they have online resources. So we've got a special support team that will give you personal help 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it goes on and on. The service which is all-inclusive, includes modules to build your website, like a blog module. They allow you to import and export WordPress, Blogger, Movable Type, TypePad, etc. You can build a form into your blog so you can collect email addresses. They integrate with Flickr, Twitter, Google Maps, etc. It just goes on and on. The, long, the list is longer than my arm. So definitely check out squarespace.com they are like i said the fast and easy way to uh to build your website or blog if you like a free trial and 30% off your new account for 3 months just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code twip3 that's squarespace.com and use the offer code twip3 all right, guys, let's jump into the picks of the week. Doug K., I'm going to throw it to you first. What is your pick of the week? Well, I've been uh, – I spent about a month doing some deep research into uh, the workflow of moving raw images from Lightroom in and out of Photoshop through various pieces of software, mostly HDR things like Photomatix Pro and uh, HDRFX Pro, things like that. Um learned a lot by the way if you if you want to know about that you can go to dougk.com and click to my blog and you'll see the articles that I wrote about that because I learned some rather surprising things about how easy it is to lose data without knowing it <laughs> but along the way I um encountered a, a an app that I had not known about which I now use as part of my standard HDR workflow when I do HDR it's from a company called Unified Color uh, and the app is called HDR Expose, HDR Expose 2 technically. Uh, links in the show notes, of course. Uh, I actually use, tend to use a version which is a, a, a Photoshop plugin, which they call 32 Float. Obviously, a very significant name that all of us can relate to, yeah. <laughs> 32 Float. But anyway, that's the pick of the week, which is um, uh, HDR Expose from Unified Color. A really nice, uh, a very good HDR application. Very cool. All right. We'll definitely link over to that in the show notes for this episode. Silarina, what is your pick of the week? I'm going to pick myself. And uh, the reason for that You're is... You're going to go you blind. Know, uh, you know yeah. that, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, seriously. I, you know, everybody seems to know me in the last three years for all the work I've done with Canon Speedlights. And the truth of the matter is that I actually shot big lights for 15 years before I really got back into the world of small flash. And so I've decided... This spring, I'm actually going to have a workshop that focuses on both big lights and small lights. And so oh. um, it, it's so brand new. It's last, it, I just decided to do it last week. 
I talked to the guys at Profoto. They're going to be sending out a bunch of gear for us to use. And if you shoot Canon or you shoot Nikon, we're just going to have a great week. So it's going to be here in Paso Robles in late April. And believe me, Central Coast wine country in late April is an amazing place to be. It's going to be fabulous. Hey, can I can I come audit that and be? Uh... You can come for free, my friend. Please awesome. do. Look at that. Yeah. That's my price right there. There you it. go. Family <laughs> discount. I love it. All right. And quickly, I'm cheating. My my pick of the week is Lightroom 4. Not only because I was uh, you know intimately involved with previous versions of Lightroom, but this is a pretty cool version. And it's, I think it's a – it is a – I think it's almost like the operating system now for amateur, advanced amateur and amateur and professional photographers. It's, it, it, I think it was in version two and three becoming that, and now version four, it is kind of you know distancing itself from the competition in terms of okay, you know if you if you've even casually been associated with Lightroom, you know the power of it, and Lightroom four is. Even if it was just bug fixes, it would have been a no-brainer. But considering all the the features they added into this thing, it is uh, it is a must. So that is uh, that's my one pick of the week. But I'm going to stick another one in there. Actually, two um, that are wrapped into one. So Kickstarter.com. We've had we focused on some of the the featured items from Kickstarter on previous episodes, but, um, I want to just, I want to call out Kickstarter in general for just helping photographers and inventors in the photography space, make this just cool stuff. You know, there's some cool stuff coming out there that we probably never would have seen that would never have seen the day, the light of day had it not been for Kickstarter. But because Kickstarter's there, all this cool stuff is starting to surface. And two things that I wanted to highlight are the gimbal pro bundle from, from Kickstarter and it's uh you have to check it out it's like a lanyard thing that you can you can put into your uh gimbal iPhone case so that you can carry it around and it, it, there's a video on the site we'll link to it in the show notes but it is it's really cool and it's like one of those things that you scratch your head and you're like yeah of course i need that if i do any sort of iPhone photography and then the trigger happy camera remote is also a kickstarter project that they're raising funds to to get moving and this is like this is like if Iron Man was a photographer, this would be the shutter release that he would have on his Iron Man suit. It's just, it does everything you could possibly need to do from intervalometer to bulb to timed bulb to all this stuff. It just turns your iPhone into an Iron Man suit of a shutter release. So definitely check that out. And if they get this thing made, I'm definitely buying at least one of them. So check out both of these and we'll link over to them in the show notes for the show. And those are my picks of the week. All right, guys, with that, I don't know this episode went a little long, but this was a crazy week, so I apologize for that. So we are at the end. It is at the, you know, it's time for, for John Boy to say goodnight. Doug K, where can people go to find out what you're up to and, and where you hang out online? Uh, just go to DougK.com and you'll find everything from there, including me on Google+. All right. Excellent. Doug K. That's K-A-Y-E. E-Y-E. Yep. Yep. Doug K.com. Cool. And Mr. Arena, where are you at online? I am blogging once again on my original blog platform, which is pixelated. P is in Paul. I-X-S-Y-L-A-T-E-D.com. Excellent. Pixelated.com for Sil Arena. All right, guys. And if you'd like to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check out This Week in Photo.com. Also, please support the show by leaving us a comment on iTunes. It makes us 
you know, cognizant of what you like and what you don't like. And also speaking of iTunes, be sure to check out the Twip podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with the shows as they are released. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at my brand new site. It's called Media Bytes with a Y. It's the marketing school for photographers. You know you need it. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.